Well, I invite you, if you'd like, to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking uh, just at the helmet of salvation and, uh, Lord willing, uh, the sword of the Spirit uh, next week. So at Ephesians 6, we'll start reading at verse 13 down through verse 20 and uh, I'll look at uh, just the first part of verse 17, take up the helmet of salvation. Before we do so, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, we trust that He is at work in each of your people's hearts, that He's right here at work in our midst. And so we believe that He's powerful, that He's strong, that He exalts your Son. And so as we come uh, to this passage, which He has written, uh, through a servant of yours, we pray that he will be at work in our hearts to expose us in our sin and then uh, drive us to Christ for forgiveness and then equip us for the works of ministry that we need to be doing in this coming week. And so arm us, strengthen us for the fight, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, Ephesians uh, 6, beginning at verse 13. Uh, therefore, uh, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. One more time, verse 17, take up uh, the helmet of salvation. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. So, beloved uh, brothers and sisters of Hope Church and everyone with us here this morning, uh, uh, as we've noticed, each piece uh, of the armor uh, protects a different body part, has a, a different purpose. The breastplate of righteousness protects the heart, the emotions, does a lot for our internal organs and for our, our, the, our very vital uh, self, for our very souls. And as we uh, walk into uh, this helmet of salvation, uh, we notice that it protects the head, uh, the mind, the, the thinking uh, of a believer. And I want to uh, just walk through a few verses which uh, sort of highlight, we probably already know this well, um, how important thinking is uh, for the Christian, how important the mind is for the Christian, so that as we approach the helmet of salvation and look at, look at what it is and what it does for us, we would do so uh, with a sense of importance regarding putting it on. So the mind is crucial for humility in the Christian life. Uh, Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The mind is crucial for our spiritual growth. Uh, Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Ephesians 4.23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So again, beloved, in our sanctification, in our growth, uh, uh, thinking is very important. The mind is also crucial to our worry and to our anxiety. Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. 
And then Philippians 4, uh, verse 8, a great passage. Uh, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And he goes on to say, and the God of peace will be with you. So the mind is important, beloved, for our entire earthly pilgrimage. What we think matters. How we think matters. What we think about makes a difference in our lives. Now, the, the heart is arguably the most important part of the Christian. Uh, from it flow the wellsprings of life. Out of it comes our speech. But the mind, you could argue, is of the, a second, the, the number two in priority. Our heart, number one, guarding it is important, maybe the, of the utmost importance. But, our, but uh, our, our minds are second only to the heart. And what we put in them uh, matters, what we think about uh, matters. And it's helpful to know also that the mind is a battlefield. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 verse 23 said, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So there's a war going on for our thoughts. There's a war inside our heads. Uh, there's a war that's, that's taking place internally that involves our thoughts, uh, that involves uh, what we think. And as someone uh, is, is quoted to have saying, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Again, just highlighting the importance of what we think about. Uh, what we think about indeed matters. So as we dive into this passage, I want us to notice just two things. We'll look at the helmet of salvation. Just kind of divvy up the parts a little bit. And then we'll look at the protection that it offers. So first, the helmet of salvation. So for as long as nations have been at war, uh, soldiers go out with helmets on. They take swords, they take their bows and arrows, they take their shields, they put on certain shoes. They also take uh, their helmets. Uh, in the Roman day, in Paul's day, soldiers would have uh, either like a leather cap with a little bit of metal on it, uh, or as uh, uh, helmets that are probably famous, they have those big plumes on the top. Uh, they have metal along the cheeks that comes down. They've got metal extended behind the back of the neck to protect your spine back there. And uh, uh, they're very extensive, very heavy helmets. They even come down on the forehead. That could be what Paul has in mind here. There were a couple types of helmets. And so really the only thing left unprotected by this helmet are your eyes, your nose, and your mouth. Pretty much everything is, is solidly protected by uh, this helmets. Uh, this is necessary in battle because archers may continue to shoot if they see a, a conglomeration of the enemy that doesn't have any friendlies in the midst of it. They may continue to shoot arrows and fire them, which uh, they can just show up randomly. And so we need a protection in the middle of the fight. But the biggest thing that we need protection from is the long sword that soldiers would have and uh, try and take each other out. The, the swords that are familiar with in movies, um, it's like a really long baseball bat, probably weighs 50 pounds, you know, these massive things that uh, only someone with a really strong wrist or two strong arms uh, can, can throw around. Um, it was easy for, uh, it was easy to get into a fight with somebody and have another enemy soldier behind us take, take someone out uh, while the, the person is unaware of it. And so if you have a helmet on, uh, they can indeed give you blows to the rest of your body, but they couldn't take out your head. It would protect your head from being crushed or from being cut uh, in two. And so we're told that we're called to take up the helmet of salvation. So the helmet protects the head and it's a helmet of salvation. Now, what, uh, what, what is it about salvation that, that is important uh, regarding how we think? Now, I want us to 
consider that this salvation has uh, three aspects to it uh, regarding time. There's a past salvation, a present salvation, and a future salvation. All three tenses are really part of how the Bible speaks of salvation. And Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, uh, said this. I think it's helpful before we kind of dive into each tense. We may say that nothing is more important for us than to learn that we may call what we may call the tenses of salvation. The Christian is a man who has been saved. He is justified by faith. The Christian is also a man who is being saved. He is not perfect. There is a work going on in him. And the Christian has yet to experience final salvation. There is a day coming when he will be absolutely perfect. You can describe the tenses thus. The past is justification, the present is sanctification, and the future is glorification. So let me just prove this to you or lay this out to you with a few scripture passages, and then we'll start working with it a little more. So past tense salvation is taught in passages like Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. So the salvation of the believers in Ephesus, our salvation is, is in one sense past tense. It's already taken place to us. Or 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 9, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Again, salvation in past tense. Uh, salvation in the present tense is taught in passages like 1 Corinthians 1, 18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved or in the process of being saved, it is the power of God. And then later on in the same epistle, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 2, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, or in the process of being saved. So that's salvation in the ongoing present tense. But then there's also, uh, the Bible teaches regarding salvation, that it, there's a future orientation to it as well. Romans 5.10, If while we are sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Again, a future look. Romans 13, 11, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So a future aspect of salvation, something yet to come. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the futureness of our salvation. So the Bible speaks of salvation in the past, salvation in the present, and also uh, the salvation in the future, what we might call the hope of salvation, the future orientation uh, of it. And uh, each of these, I think, is important to understand as we put on this helmet of salvation. So let's just finish by looking at and spending the bulk of our time on the protection that this helmet of salvation offers to us as believers. Now, in each of these tenses, salvation means something very important. Salvation uh, is this. It's to be rescued from a perilous situation. It's to be rescued from a situation that we can't rescue ourselves from. We're in difficulty, we're in trouble, and we need to be rescued. We're familiar with this all the time, right? The Coast Guard goes and rescues people who are in storms. That's, that's a, a sort of salvation. Uh, people who might be drowning at sea, they go rescue them. Special forces, other trained personnel, they go and rescue hostages, people who are in a perilous situation under the control of a hostage of, of captors. Firefighters rescue people. They go into burning buildings uh, and rescue people out of there. They rescue people from cars after they're in wrecks with the jaws of life. Again, we're familiar with this notion of being saved, of being in a perilous situation, 
and having people come to rescue us. So in the same way, God rescues us from our perilous situations. And in the context of past salvation, here's how this works. In the past, before we came to Christ, we were in a perilous, dangerous, desperate situation. We were under the penalty of sin. We owed somebody uh, something. Uh, children, you'll know what a penalty is, right? If you don't keep your room clean or, or you don't do your homework or you forgot to do a chore or take out the trash, whatever his mom and dad asked you to do, you'll have a penalty, right? Maybe you won't get ice cream that night, which probably not much of a penalty. Maybe you maybe you'll have another chore added to your list, right? Maybe you'll have to pay mom and dad um, to do the chore for you. But whatever it is, that's what it is to be under penalty. Uh, well, in before we came to Christ, we were under penalty. We're born under penalty. We're conceived under penalty so that we owe God something. Uh, we are condemned before uh, his bar of justice. And what has happened in our salvation is that God has saved us from the penalty. Our Savior Jesus Christ has come and He took the penalty. We broke the law, we should have paid, and God sent His Son and said, look, I'm gonna pay, I'm gonna pay this price for you, I'm gonna pay the debt for you, you don't owe me anything anymore. I've got this. And so we, uh, having put on the helmet of salvation, we've been saved from God's eternal wrath against our sin. We've been saved from hell, eternal conscious torment. That was the situation we were in. God rescued us out of that horrendous situation and said, you're mine. You've been saved from it. Galatians 3.13 puts it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse or the penalty of the law by becoming a curse for us. He stood in our place. He took what we deserved to take. Therefore, when Satan comes in against us and, acute, and, and the fighting becomes acute and says, look, you're a wretch. There's no way that God can possibly uh, have saved you. There's no way you can be a child of God. You're just far too sinful. We can respond by putting on this helmet of salvation and say, look, I was in a perilous situation. I, I was a total wreck. Uh, I have committed horrible sins, but God in his grace and his mercy has delivered me from them. So when Satan comes to accuse us and says, there's no way you could possibly be a Christian, your sins are too great, they're too many, God can't deal with a situation like yours. We can say, look, actually God has dealt with a situation like mine. Christ paid my debt. Uh, Christ has stood in my place. Christ has borne the curse for me. Uh, God knows how much of a sinner I am. It's why on the cross, Christ was imputed with all my sin and, and, and took the blows I should have taken so that they're all paid for. And if you want to know how bad of a sinner I was, Satan, go look at the cross. Go look how the Father treated the Son. Go listen to the Son cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Go look at the agony. Listen to the, the cries of the Son. Listen to the loud crying out from the cross, the voice of the Son. He's in agony because he's in my place. So God indeed can save me. I can be a Christian because God is merciful and Christ has paid my debt. Well, there's also the issue of present salvation, and maybe this is where the rubber meets the road, and then also in the future tense more so. Uh, sanctification is what we are currently undergoing in our salvation. We are being saved. We're in the process of being saved. Uh, so we've already been saved, past tense, but we're also in the process of being rescued from not just the penalty of sin, past tense, but the, but the power of sin in our life. Uh, so we're in the process of being rescued, or we call it sanctification from the grip or the power that sin has on our lives. And Satan can quite easily discourage us this way. 
He can walk into our lives and He can say, look, uh, your progress in salvation, your progress in holiness is just so slow, it's not even there. You're committing some of the same sins today that you committed last year or that you committed 10 years ago or that you committed 20 years ago. So there's no way you can possibly be a Christian. You're not making enough progress. You're not making any more progress than the moral non-Christian is living next to you. There's no way you can possibly be a Christian. Those are some of the, the sword thrusts, the blows Satan can deal to our head, and they hurt, and they're powerful. And so we need this helmet of salvation. We need to put it on. And what that does is it allows us to, to respond to Satan by saying something along these lines. You know, there's two ways to break concrete, right? You can take it with an acorn. You can take an acorn and you can slam it against your sidewalk until your arm is sore. The acorn's all busted into small pieces and the sidewalk didn't even know you were there. There's not a single bit of evidence that you were even there throwing anything, that you existed, right? Or you can take that same acorn, you can plant it like six inches away from the edge of the sidewalk and you can water it once a week. And you can watch it over the course of 40, 50 years become this massive tree. And you can watch the root system do what? You see it all around town, right? Slowly heave this sidewalk. Slowly move it over to the point that the city comes by and says, look, you got to fix this. <laughs> you have a problem. The sidewalk's destroyed. That's, that's a way to break the sidewalk. Beloved, it's the same in our life regarding sin. You know, we can have these adrenaline rushes where we take that acorn we take our best efforts and we beat it against sin and we say, I'm never going to do this anymore. I'm done with this. I'm forever finished with this. And we give all our willpower to it. And what it does to break that sin is about what the acorn does to break the sidewalk. Nothing. Two weeks later, we're back in the same pattern. A week later, a month later, a day later. And we find that we just don't have what it takes. And Satan, can he capitalizes on that. But I'll tell you what, beloved, God plants the seed of regeneration in our hearts and we start slowly growing. And Satan comes in to accuse us and says, you can't possibly be a child of God. Look at how you're living. And we could respond saying this, you know what, Satan? I'm not worthy to be a child of God, but God has made me a child of His. And indeed, I've got sins and I shouldn't have them. I've got every reason not to sin anymore. But the power of sin is gonna be removed from my life slowly. Some sins fall off fast, but some sins, I'll die with them and I'm slowly being formed into the image of Christ, and I'm slowly growing, and slowly fruit is coming out more and more. So that's a way of responding to Satan, a way of thinking when he put on this helmet saying, yeah, I'm not growing as fast as I need to be, but I'm still growing. You know, you can look at that oak tree, right? It puts a ring on in the winter, but it doesn't look like it's growing, right? You come out, you can measure the oak tree with your eyes and say, yeah, it didn't really grow much last year, but it grew. Beloved, it's the same in our lives. Maybe, we didn't, maybe it didn't look like we grew a lot, but we're still growing. We're still growing day in and day out. And maybe one of the most challenging things for a Christian as we're being saved from the power of sin is learning to uh, be uh, patient, learning where we are in the salvation process. I am not dead in sin, but I'm also not fully glorified yet. I am in the middle. I am somewhere between dead in sin and fully perfect in Christ. I am living I am moving. I am becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. When we put on the helmet of salvation, it gives us a firm footing. It, it helps us figure out where we are in God's salvation plan. So when Satan comes to discourage us and to destroy us, we can say, look, you're right. I'm not growing as fast as I should be, but growth is a process and I'm still growing. 
The only way he can really destroy us is if we quit. I don't want to come across as sort of a cheerleader. I don't want to come across as, you know, sort of a pep rally leader, you know, rah, 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 and we can all have the pep fade about an hour after we leave here. But there is an element to, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to be encouraged. There's an element to encouraging here that I think we could all use, and that is this, that the only way we really lose the fight is when we give up. Really putting down the helmet and saying, I'm done. You know, Satan, you're right. I'm not growing fast enough. I'm just going to give up trying. It's just not an option in the Christian life. Our commanding officer has called us to war. He said, look, put this stuff on. You got to stand in the fight. You got to go do it. This is part of working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And so, beloved, if we've put down this helmet, if we've put up down the sword, if we've put down the shield, and we say, I'm, I'm just done for now. That's just not an option in the Lord's army. It's not an option. He said that we can't do that. We can't play that part. And so I would encourage every one of us uh, to, to indeed pick up that helmet and put it on. Look, I don't know where you're in your fight, whether you're patiently persevering or whether we've just kind of sat under a shade tree for a while and said, I'm done fighting. But if we're sitting down getting clobbered by our sin, clobbered by the devil, I offer this to you. Take that salvation, that helmet of salvation, put it on your head and get back in the fight. Understand that our process of being saved from the power of sin takes time. And so in the middle of this war, which we're going to win, we will discover that there are battles we lose. We will discover, beloved, as we fight against Satan, some days we lose, some days we win. As we pick up this armor, some days we don't pick it up very well and we get, we get our heads handed to us, as it were. But we're going to win the war. God guarantees it. We're going to make it to the end. He's on our side. We've got nothing to fear. We can fight in the strength that he provides. That's how we're going to fight. And so, as I mentioned before, the only option we don't have is to uh, sit down and do nothing. You know, when the battle is lost, we don't throw in the towel. We may spend time devising another strategy. Okay, Lord, you're teaching me something through this. It may cause us to reach out to somebody and say, look, I need help. Uh, I'm, I'm fighting this battle. I've got a chink in my armor somewhere and it's not going well. Give me a hand. Well, that's all part of learning to fight. Or we may reach out to someone and say, hey, look, I don't feel like I'm fighting very well. <laughs> I could just use someone in my life to say, look, you got to fight this out. I remember uh, I, I mentioned this way at the beginning too, when I was going through depression and uh, Satan was attacking me tremendously in Springfield. One of my good friends, Chris Moulton, he looked at me and said, look, Zach, on the phone, he said, you got to fight. You're in a battle. He's like, you, you got to fight. You, you got to get going. You got to do something with this. You have to pick up the armor and you have to fight. Beloved, it's the case uh, for all of us. And, and just know too, every army has its setbacks. Uh, something, Satan would love nothing more than for us to keep sulking in the field of battle because we're easy prey then. He would love nothing more than for us to sit down in the field of battle and say, look, I just failed again. I, I just blew it again. I think I'm going to sit down here for a few days, for a few weeks and sulk rather than stand up, go to the Lord and say, Lord, I blew it. I sinned. I fell into temptation. I've been really discouraged. I've been doubting you despite all your promises. Forgive me. And now please strengthen me. Please equip me to go out and to fight this battle well. And rest our soul in these words. You know, Paul had this same battle with present uh, being, being saved from the present power of sin, Romans 7, 19. We've noticed this last week a little bit. I want to highlight it again. I do not do the good I want. 
but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's recurrent sin. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want you to imagine a situation where we've gone onto the field of battle as a soldier. We had our armor on, we had our sword in hand, and we fought hard and we got kicked. We got injured. And so we sit down after having fallen into sin, succumbing to a temptation or to doubts and just discouragement and, and ending up sulking. And we sit on the field of battle, really having betrayed our commander in chief, having betrayed our captain, our general, rather than keeping, continuing to engage the fight, we just left behind the fight. And we can imagine ourselves being brought into the court martial, into the, the military tribunal, the military court system, and the charges read are this. Your Honor, this soldier has traded on the captain. This soldier has failed the general. This soldier put down their weapon. This soldier did not fight well. This soldier actually walked out on his comrades and some of us fell and he just left us behind. This soldier deserves to be con condemned, to be put in the brig, to be put in prison for the rest of his life. The soldier has betrayed you. And here's in light of Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who commit recurrent sins in Christ Jesus. There's therefore now no condemnation. Our loving general says this, uh, there's no condemnation for such a soldier. To be sure the soldiers betrayed me. To be sure the soldier has put down the arms. To be sure the soldier has not fought valiantly. To be sure the soldier left many behind but I'm a forgiving general. I'm a forgiving commander. Uh, I have enlisted this soldier. I have called this soldier to be mine and I will forgive this soldier all of their traitorous acts, all of the betrayal. I will forgive this soldier that. And then he looks at us as it were and says, you can go out now. There's no condemnation for your acts. There's no condemnation for failing to fight well. You don't leave here guilty. You leave here innocent. You leave here fully forgiven. You leave here as, as my child and as my soldier, you belong to me. Now go fight well. Now go pick up that sword again. Now when you go to the field of battle and people laugh at you and mock you and condemn you, I want you to know that I don't condemn you, that I have nothing against you. I want you to know that you're my soldier, not somebody else's soldier. I want you to know that you're in my army, not someone else's. And in my army, among the people that I've chosen to be part of my army, there's forgiveness for failures. And so you come to me and you admit it. You come to me and say, I haven't fought well. And I say, look, I forgive you. Now equip yourself and go back out and fight. So beloved, I don't, maybe there's sins in some of our lives. I know there are in mine where we become so discouraged by them. Year after year after year, we fall into them. And it's so easy to say, you know what? I'm just gonna forget fighting against it for a little bit. I'm just gonna let it go on for a few days, for a few weeks, for a few months, maybe for a few years and we stop doing battle. And God would not have us do that. God says, look, when you fail, come to me. When you fail, be reminded that I don't condemn you. When you fail, I want you to know that I'm still your father who loves you. Now would you please fight? Now would you please just get back in the battle? Now would you please pick up and fight this enemy? Would you fight this sin? Would you fight with Satan? You'll have to do it for a while, but keep on fighting. And then finally, to close, there's future salvation. That's part of the helmet. And I get this mainly from uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.8, where Paul writes, for a helmet, the hope 
of salvation. We're called to put that on. So there he sort of explains uh, that, that uh, the salvation, uh, the helmet of salvation has to do with the hope of salvation. Uh, so again, there's a future orientation because hope in the Bible doesn't mean something that may or may not happen. It means something that's sure to happen that we can bank on because of the character and promises of God, because of what he's done for us already in Jesus Christ. So salvation, the helmet of salvation, also has a future orientation, which equips us to fight really well. So in the future sense, our salvation is not yet completed, beloved. We have been saved, we are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from even the presence and the possibility of sin. So the penalty of sin has been dealt with, the power of sin is being dealt with, and the presence and possibility of sin will be dealt with on the last day. Sin's not gonna make it into heaven. And so when we put on that helmet of salvation, we're saying there's something greater to come. There's something more to come in the future. This means that we can engage the fight with all vigor, with all strength, and we can engage the fight uh, even risking dying uh, in the fight. Uh, look, the devil will come to us and he'll tempt us by saying this. Look, you've wasted, you're missing out on so much. Look at all the 20-year-olds, see how much fun they're having? You missed it, better live it up now. Look at the 30-year-olds, look at the 40-year-olds, all their productivity. You're 50 now, you didn't save money like you should have. You didn't, you didn't have a family like you should have. You didn't, you didn't invest in things like you should have. You're missing out, better make it good now. And he comes to us in our 60s and 70s, says, look at everybody else who's retiring, all the fun they've had, the great memories, the pictures. You're missing out, you better live it up now. And that's powerful, beloved, especially in a Western culture in America where we, we're defined by our own choices largely, not by our family heritage. We live in a, in a money, individualistically driven culture. Beloved, Satan come to us and say, look, you're missing out. You know, you put on the helmet of salvation and say, actually, you wanna know something, Satan? The best is yet to come. I could go back to my 20s. I could go back to my teen years. I haven't missed out on anything. I, you know, my 30s weren't as great as they could have been, but the best is yet to come. My 40s haven't been as good as they could have been. My 50s, 60s, 70s, so the day we die, beloved, the hope of salvation that's yet to come, when we put that helmet on, we say, look, Satan, I haven't wasted anything. I'm not out anything. The best in my life is yet to come. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul's saying this, if there is no hope of salvation, no resurrection, then we better start partying. Because tomorrow we're gonna be dead, we better live it up. We better not die to self, deny ourselves, pick up the cross, take off all this sin, put on Christ and do all this work and fight with the devil. We better not bother with that stuff if there's no resurrection. If there's no hope of salvation, if there's nothing in store for us in the future, then we better party, whatever partying looks like for each of us. We better live it up. We better have as much fun as possible because soon enough we're just gonna die and then it's all over. But Paul says there is a resurrection. And so we're not missing out on anything. And so this life isn't about Christians living it up, is it? This life is about dying to ourselves. This life is about fighting this good fight. This life is about living for Christ and for his kingdom. And eventually God will make it all worthwhile. So, the devil says you missed out. We say, no, we haven't missed out. We have more that's yet to come. Uh, John Laburn, he's a 19th century American Presbyterian pastor who actually served in the ARPC. 
uh, he wrote this, the hope of the Christian has to do with better things than those which are confined within the bounds of time or which derive their value solely from the estimate put upon them by a mere groveling earthly mind. But the hope of the believer stands on a firmer basis, rises higher, takes hold of better comforts, and speeds on the footsteps of the pilgrim soldier with the prospect of far brighter joys to come than that mere common principles which cheers universal humanity on its march from the cradle to the grave. The hope of the believer has been well defined to be that grace whereby through Christ he expects and waits for all those good things of the promise he has not yet received. Beloved, do you and I live like the best is yet to come? Do we fight like it? Or do we say, you know what? I'm not sure if the best is yet to come. So I'm gonna live part of my life here for all the gusto and all the glory and all the earthly pleasure I can possibly get out of this life. If we're doing it, we're wasting our time. We're not engaged in the fight. God says, look, I'll more than make this up to you. Get busy fighting now. Get busy picking up that cross now. I'll more than make it up for you on the last day. Second application regarding our future salvation. Uh, it means that we will arrive one day in heaven guaranteed. It's the hope of salvation. It's something which is guaranteed. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So beloved, we might lose some battles, but we'll win the war. Maybe some of us are sitting here thinking, I'm not sure I'm gonna make it. I'm not sure I'm gonna arrive there. I've got sins in my life that are so embedded in me, Satan has such a foothold, I'm not sure I'm gonna get out of this. And what our commander in chief, what our five-star general is telling us is you'll win the war, you'll make it there. I guarantee it, there's no question about that. You'll make it there through a lot of battles, but you will make it. So rest in the comfort and the peace that is ours in Christ, beloved, that indeed we will make it there but it will be through fierce fighting. It will be through a lot of battles. It will be through a lot of temptations and a lot of failures. That's how we will get there. And God will forgive us for all of our failures and he will welcome us on that last day. And then finally, this means because salvation has a future orientation, it means that the fighting will not continue on forever. It just won't. You know, if we had a fight for eternity, if God says, look, you're mine, you're in a fight, it's gonna last forever, <laughs> have fun. It'd be really hard to get up in the morning, wouldn't it? It'd be hard to be motivated. It'd be hard to keep engaging this fight. We'd probably, we'd probably take a lot of breaks, be like, you know what? I'm not gonna fight this fight for the next thousand years. I'm just gonna give into it because I've got millions and billions of years to take this on later. So what's the urgency? A beloved, our God tells us that the fight only lasts this long, the length of our life. For some of us, it might be 40 years. For some of us, the fight might last 50 years, maybe 60 after we're converted. Maybe it'll be 70 years after we're converted. Maybe 80, maybe two. But beloved, the fight only lasts this long. It only lasts the length of our life in this world. That's it. And then there's an eternity of rest. Some of the hymns uh, bear this out. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. And that song, I think we sung it last week, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. So engage the fight. Put on that helmet and realize that it won't be long before we're in heaven. Some of our brothers and sisters have already gone before us. Many of them, millions of them have already gone before us. The fight's over for them. 
Someday, Lord willing, beloved, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, our children, our grandchildren will look back and say they were in the fight, but their fight's over now, and they'll be in the midst of the fight. So, beloved, it'll only last for so long. Let's pick up our cross. Let's fight this fight. Let's do this work. Let's help each other in the midst of it. The war is ours. God guarantees it. We'll make it. Let's pray.